Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. On a Premier League weekend with more banana skins than Mario Kart. Injury stricken Manchester United avoided theirs away at Nottingham Forest. Bruno Fernandes and Christian Eriksen, a late addition to the starting lineup, purred in midfield. Anthony, well, his tenacity and confidence have earned him the plaudits as well as a good goal and a fine assist. Now Eric Ten Hag's side travelled to Sevilla requiring victory to reach the Europa League semi-finals and they'll return to England straight after and prepare for an FA Cup semi-final at Wembley against perhaps the informed team of English football in Brighton. Round one of the United against Brighton FA Cup semi-final has gone to the red corner as well. Manchester United women made history on Saturday evening. It was difficult, but in a classic cup tie, Mark Skinner's side prevailed thanks to a clinical Rachel Williams finish. A 3-2 victory taking them to their first ever major final where they'll face Chelsea in mid-May. A very warm welcome to the Manchester United Weekly Podcast. I'm Harry Robinson and with me as always is Jack Tate. Thank you for joining us. There's so much to talk about, so we'll dive in very shortly. But also on today's show, we play guest the player as always. There's news on an under-18s Manchester derby, relegation for one of our loanies and more headlines for another. You might be able to guess who it is. Jack, let's begin on Nottingham Forest. A really good victory, as I say, on a weekend where plenty of other teams, rivals or not, were, were slipping up to unexpected defeats or perhaps a little expected in the form of Chelsea and Tottenham but Newcastle and Arsenal certainly slipping up United coped with this challenge and it was a big challenge very well if you think about the moves we had after the severe game just that sense of of the of doom with so many injuries but this was a really good performance and Anthony with a goal and assist but I think also everything he showed some frustrating bits absolutely but it's feeling, especially in Rashford's absence, there's a sense over these last few performances that we're starting to see Anthony's qualities more obviously than we did before. Yeah, I, th- I think the game in general, to be honest, coming into it, it felt like the stars were aligning for this to be a classic sort of, you know, United drop points when everyone else has also dropped yeah. points. Came out of the severe game with obviously a lot of injuries. Then right before the game, you find out Malassia is also injured. Now don't have a single left back <laughs> in the squad. Dallow ends up having to play out there. Sabitzer gets injured in the warm up. It was just all feeling like... And then De Gea five minutes in looked like well, he yeah, have to yeah, go yeah. off as well. I, I tweeted off that. It did feel Could incredible. you imagine telling, like if I'd have called you up at half time in the severe game and told you, Harry, we're going to draw this game. And by the time we're five minutes into our game against Forest on <laughs> Sunday, we're going to be without De Gea, Varane, Martinez, yeah. Malassia, Shaw, Ridiculous. Sabitza. I'd have <laughs> like, been as shocked as the fact that I was getting signal in Old Trafford. <laughs> And, but, you know, I've got to say, I think the, the team responded brilliantly, especially with this game being away from home. You know, Nottingham Forest are not a particularly great team. And as I think with Everton and Brentford recently, I think they definitely helped us a lot in this yeah. game with how they they played. But at the same time, given how poor our waveform has been for a lot of the season, albeit mainly the problems have come against better teams. And the fact that when, you know, to the extent that Forest are a good side, that their good performances normally do happen at home at the city ground. Drew is City, the way that we approached just a couple of months was, ago. Yeah, exactly. And, and even, you know, first 20 minutes, there were, there were signs that, you know, there, there was some, some trouble there for United to navigate. And I thought the way that we ended up controlling the game, I mean, that trio in, in midfield, was exquisite throughout the game. It was such a joy to have Ericsson back. And in the end, I actually think him playing over Sabitza was, ended up making us so much better. And like you said, Anthony was the absolute star of the show. Yeah. We could have scored a lot more in the end, couldn't we? You're right. The first 20 minutes was, uh, we looked vulnerable, but I think Forrest was still open enough that we, we were looking good going forward with that vulnerability at the back. Yeah. We would have scored more had the wingers, Sancho and Anthony, been at the back post more often. It's an issue we've discussed before. To be honest, it's an issue we discussed long before Sancho and Anthony joined Manchester United. I can't remember who we would have been speaking about several years ago, but we've discussed this so many times and it's it's nothing particularly hugely insightful, is it? The best teams... Manchester City most prolifically for the last few years, but Liverpool did the same with Salah and Mane. Arsenal doing it with Saka. I mean, even though Arsenal drew at the weekend, the first 
Saka goal is is the perfect example of that. That your wingers on the other side get to the back post and and they will profit from it more often than not. If we'd done that more, we would have profited. In the end, Anthony only did it once, but his whole performance was was excellent. He used his right foot a couple of times, which was lovely to see. Yeah. And the assist is is brilliant. The intensity of his game, I, I just love the aggression that he comes into into every action with. The mentality spot on. Whatever people said about his double spin back in the autumn, no one would be thinking about that now because it's just everything has a, aggression and intensity to it. And and he had a good game, I thought, against Everton, but his finishing was obviously well off, and he missed two uh, two one on ones. A couple of them were good saves, but one of them certainly really should have scored. So I was delighted he got a goal here and the assist is is brilliant. On the the right foot thing first, he's actually done that, I've noticed in the last like three or four games, Brentford, Everton, Sevilla and against Forest. He's in all of those games, at least once he's gone down the outside and actually used his right foot either for a cross or a shot. You know, it's it's obviously still still only once a game, but That's in some ways that is enough. Yeah, exactly. Like it's it, just he's never threat. gonna be He's never going to be a Christian Eriksen type where he can literally use both both feet equally. And we don't even need him to be that. You just need enough so that a defender can't completely sell out on, mm. on knowing that you go into the inside. And it showed him that the opportunities that he did have against Nottingham Forest, even though he didn't end up scoring from you know one of his trademarks sort of cut in and bend it to the far post, he created better spaces for himself to have those shots than he normally does because he did just plant that seed of doubt in the, the fullback's mind that, you know, is he going to go down the outside? Is this going to be the time when he does it? You're spot on about, you know, the mentality and his approach to the game. Everything he does is at, you know, 100 miles an hour. There's never any ounce of kind of hesitation in, in what he does. The, the frustration has always come that he's not hesitant, but he, he slows play down sometimes. And he hasn't been doing that recently. He's been releasing the ball He certainly did quicker. that at Newcastle away. So it's not, it's not so long ago. Yeah. But, these these last few games have no, been good. No, no. And, and the what what I've liked about him as well is that I, I've always felt the thing that was lacking from his game is that you know we've talked about how he's, he's a, him and Sancho both kind of excel as, as sort of link up players. They're rather than traditional wingers like a Rashford who's going to try and mm. go past their their man every time. The thing I've felt that's always been slightly lacking from Anthony is I wanted more of that link up play to be going forward. You think about. The what goal? Sabitzer's goal in the FA Cup against Fulham, where Sancho gets the ball on the left, plays sort of that ball down the line to Shaw, who's underlapping. Like, do you want more of those kind of passes, Mantony, where he is linking up the play, but he's getting us forward rather than just coming inside to the central midfielders or backwards to the fullback? And he did that exactly for the assist for for Dallow's goal, which was a you know, brilliant dribble, and that that pass was magnificent. Yeah, on the other wing, Sancho's such an interesting case because. There are moments in the game where he's so valuable and he's less he's less hell for leather than Anthony. And that has its its perks, but I think they are outweighed by the negatives. The the advantage of that is that it, it can slow United's attack down in a good way sometimes and add a bit of patience to how we're going about things. And uh, we've we've mentioned this a few times and I think we saw it against Forrest on several occasions where we managed to have those sustained attacks and we were doing well at, at really keeping them pinned in and eventually something will come of it. Um, but we're not seeing Sancho's skill enough and it, it, he is hesitant in in a way that when Anthony's not hesitant counter-attacking I, I don't get the same sense as Sancho where it feels it just feels like he needs activating feels like there's a key that needs to be turned and then you'll get the full Jaden Sancho. He's just not operating at the at the level that he could, given the skill there. He just has to be more aggressive. And the point remains that we made a few weeks ago that he will fit into a better United team. Even if he stayed at this level, he would look a lot better in a future United team that was more attuned to how he plays. That would mean a different role for the fullbacks, a slightly different striker, I think. But too often throughout the games you're just thinking just shoot yeah. or just pull the trigger for whether it's a shot or a pass or just take a man on and it's so frustrating watching this watching someone kind of hold themselves back and somehow he needs to get that confidence I, I thought the second half was better yesterday I thought he he did seem to have a little bit more conviction there were a few times where he did go past his man and he he did just seem to have a bit more maybe intensity in, in what he was doing, but it is a, 
in general, it's such a strange sorry, case. Sorry to butt in, but it's a pretty rare full 90 minutes for him. He often yeah. gets taken off when he starts. And I did think that when, that I, I remember one of the moments late on that you're talking about where he took a man on, I did think, oh, it's so rare to have Sancho play this late on in a game. Maybe that has helped him build a bit of confidence up. So maybe a couple of weeks down the line, we'll be talking in the same way we're now talking about Anthony. Fingers crossed. Yeah, potentially. You know, we've seen it with Anthony, how quickly things can change. I I just think with Sancho, it's hard to kind of put your finger on exactly what it is that's going on because it's not that he's playing badly. You know, he had a good game against Forest in general. He was, you know, heavily involved in a lot of the good things we were doing. It's just that there feels like there is a piece missing mass. It's the... You used the word a few weeks ago. This might have been in the Patreon q and I'm not sure, but you used the phrase that he just doesn't seem to have any power. And that's in sort of every aspect mm. of his play. And I think, you know, I, I agree with that. And I think the word I keep coming back to is there's just not quite enough dynamism in, in what he's doing. That's always been yeah. the trademark of someone like Rashford. And even Anthony, even though Anthony isn't the sort of classic, you know, take your man on down the outside kind of winger, there is still a lot of dynamism. He is a very dynamic player. And I just don't, get that sense from Sancho. That's not to say that he yeah. can't put it into his game because he has all of the technical ability, all of the, the the sort of knowledge of how to play football. You know, some of the runs that he makes, his movements he's a, very, he's very a, good. He's a boy made in, in the cages of South London. He's obviously going to have that somewhere. But as I say, it, well, as we're both saying, it, yeah. someone needs to activate it. It is. Uh, his, um, by the way, his his last ninety minutes in the league was mid October, the nil nil draw against Newcastle. Wow, and I mean that probably won't change very much, just simply because we have a lot of options out wide. That's kind of the the area where our, our depth is the best. Obviously, at the moment, it's not because of Rashford and Garnacho being injured, but with both of those probably coming back in the next couple of weeks, you'd think these this next or two or three games is going to be really really important for Sancho to try and you know get make sure he is at the top of that pecking order because if you know if Sancho is playing really well and by the time Rashford comes back we can slot Rashford back up uh, up top as as a striker Sancho will continue playing but he's got to show enough in these next couple of weeks otherwise yeah <laughs> well Garnacho's, uh back in some form of yeah. training in an Instagram story today which shows he's got his boots back on rather than trainers so uh, I'd expect he'll be back relatively soon um, so yeah the the, the clock is ticking for Sancho. He'll obviously get more chances, but if Garnacho comes back and is as explosive as he was before, that comparison certainly doesn't help either. But and, and again, I, I, I want to say, like, just to reinforce the point, it's not it's not that Sancho's playing badly. Like, well, like I said, yeah. his performance against Forest was good. It's just there feels like you see little flashes of the talent and the ability that he has, and you just feel like there is there's more to give. And for whatever reason, he's not unlocking that extra. 25, 30% of what he can do. Yeah. I don't think the Forest game was not a bad performance. I do think he has played badly recently. Yeah. yeah. Like the Everton game had some really negative bits to it and there've, there've been a few others, but I think what gives you hope is that there are players, we're so far from writing Sancho off. Some people will have done. And I know a lot of United fans will think Sancho's just, who just think Sancho hasn't got the mentality required to play for United and they may be proved right. We'll see. But we're certainly not writing Sancho off yet. And what gives you hope is that players we wrote off a lot more than him, like Aaron Wan-Bissaka or even Diogo Dallo a couple of years ago, are now have, have shown themselves to, they've stepped up. So let's hope before the end of the season, Sancho can show, even if it's not fully what he's capable of, just an improvement enough that you go, yeah, we're sticking with this kid and he's, he's going to come good. Uh, before we have our first guest to play a clue, you mentioned them earlier, but the midfield three, particularly Fernandes and Eriksson, just joyous, wasn't it? Um, yeah, it really was. Yeah, Sabitzer could have played the, the, Ten Hag and, and the physios decided not to take the risk, which I think speaks volumes as to where we are with these injuries. But yeah, Fernandes and Eriksson, they are some players. And as you mentioned earlier, Forrest really opened up for us. I think we we didn't take full advantage of that in terms of scoring, but I think Fernandes and Eriksson certainly took full advantage of that. Just lovely to watch. Yeah, they were both majestic, honestly, is what probably the word I'd use to yeah. describe that performance. It was just lovely to see them back together. I, I think I'd honestly sort of forgot how good Ericsson is. Yeah, yeah. And, and I, I don't really know why I'd forgotten that, because he was obviously massively important to us at the start of the season. But just some of the some of these touches, some the way he moves the ball so quickly and so effortlessly, 
it's just such a huge sea change from whatever else we have in midfield. And I, I sort of hadn't quite realised how long it had been since we've seen the three of them, Casemiro, Fernandes mm. and Eriksen playing together. You know, Jan- the last time would have been January when Eriksen got injured. And since then, there hasn't been that many times when Casemiro and Fernandes have played because yeah. of all of Casemiro's suspensions. It, there was a couple of moments in particular. There was one in the first half. I'd have to go back to find the exact minutes. I'm not sure. But the ball came into Eriksen. We, were un- we weren't under pressure, but he was receiving the ball with a few Forest players around him. The ball gets, I think it actually came straight from De Gea. It was sort of a, it looked like a scuffed kick, but it might have been an a intentional pass on his weak foot into Ericsson in midfield. Ericsson's got two or three Nottingham Forest players around him and just first time sort of clips it around the corner to Bruno Fernandes and then mm. we're, we're straight on the counter-attack. It's, it's just what he brings to our team is, is massive. And I think the biggest compliment I can pay to Bruno and Ericsson in their performance is this was probably Casemiro's quietest game in a United shirt. And yeah. despite how good he's been, we've needed Casemiro much more than we should have throughout the season. And it was lovely to watch a game where to be honest, I didn't really notice him that much. Yeah. We're going to talk about a bit about how the fullbacks helped Ericsson and Fernandez in that. But also you mentioned goal kicks. We're going to talk about that in, in a couple of minutes as well. Casemiro, yeah, quiet. But he also has in his locker those clipped balls uh, when he's facing his own goal and receives it with the back to the opposition's goal. And that just immediate clip ball over to the right wing, which is also just another option to open a team up quickly. Yeah. Even if we then lose possession, we've still made a bit of uh, territory gained to use a rugby term that midfield started 17 games together 15 wins and two draws and yeah you're right they hadn't played together since January the 28th I think it was against Reading in the game that Andy Carroll seemed to side down the entire United team I've I've hinted at what we're going to talk about let's have uh, first guess to play a clue before we get on to that it's me setting the clue for Jack this week it's uh, a bit of a challenge are you ready? Oh, great. Well, we were just talking about your dissertation early on, old United players. So I'm <laughs> expecting something quite old. Okay. The the period we were talking about was Edwardian. So don't expect yeah. <laughs> that old. But yeah, you uh, you would be right. It's I, I'll, I'll help in saying that they are not currently playing football. And the clue <laughs> is, that's an extra one. That's kind of a minus one clue. But clue one is that I played for Manchester United, Leeds United, West Bromwich Albion, Philadelphia Fury, and Shamrock Rovers. Philadelphia so Fury. United, Leeds, West Brom, Philadelphia Fury, and Shamrock Rovers. Okay, that is a blast from the past. I, I would have got that it was old just from Philadelphia Fury because that is a team that does not exist yeah. anymore. Okay, well, I, I've got no idea who it is. I'll let you the, rum, ruminate on that one, yeah. The, the only two things that are going through my head is they play for Shamrock Rovers. I'm, I'm going to guess they, they might be Irish. And also... I'm try, just trying to think of the, the time period because I know George Best went and played in America after he left United. Played for a couple of, I think one in LA and one in Florida somewhere. Yeah. And it so did. I'm just thinking it might be that sort of period because like, that was obviously not, not like MLS or anything, but there were, it was sort of a thing back then. So that's sort of the time period I'm thinking of, but I've got no idea who it is. <laughs> Two good educated conclusions. Let's see. Uh, I'll give you a clue to before the patron Q&A after we talk a bit about, yeah. let's, let's start with Diogo Dallo. Injury enforced his inclusion because of Molasses absence, but he was very good. He's obviously played at left back before, but before we get onto him specifically, the ease at which players come in, given how many injuries we've had, the ease at which players come into the team now is a testament really to the, preparation and the instructions from Ten Hag and how clear player roles are in this team. I I love listening to Ten Hag talk about team selection because (laughs) after the game, everything has such a clear reasoning behind it. You know, obviously Dallow was was enforced, but he was asked on Sky Sports after the game about, you know, why play Lindelof on the left and Maguire on the right, even though throughout their careers, they've generally played on on the opposite sides. And, you know, he talked about how he preferred the angles that Maguire has and that Lindelof is a better defender on his weak foot than Maguire. So you play Lindelof on the left side. And, you know, to your point, I think players coming in and out of the team is going to be more important than ever towards the end of the season, given all the injuries we have. And it makes it so much easier for someone like Dallo to come in in a relatively unfamiliar position and play as well as he did. You know, I thought he was really, really good all game. The the one-footedness was an issue at times in defence, but never really an issue going forward. That's one very bad one. Yeah. yeah. 
but it, you know, in in general, I thought he did really, really well. And you can see as well that he, in particular, he's someone that I really notice. You can almost sort of see the cogs turning in his brain when he plays, yeah. especially when we're in possession. Like you can really see him putting into practice instructions that Ten Hag has given him, especially in terms of coming inside into midfield when we're when we're in possession. You sort of see his brain like click into gear. It's like oh shit, I better, I better make that 10 yard run, you yeah. know, get into midfield. And a few times it, it you know, really, really paid off. He did a good interview on, on NBC after the game as well. Dallow did talking about, you know, how he and Ericsson would, would rotate throughout the game. And some, sometimes Dallow would go forward and he'd sort of take up Ericsson's attacking position, which is what happened for the goal. Yeah. Yeah. It was, I'm not saying it was a you know world-class performance or anything, but I think for a player coming in on relatively short notice in a somewhat unfamiliar position, I think you've got, got to give him a lot of credit for, playing as well as he did. Yeah. The role of the fullbacks in this game was was massive. You've spoken a bit about this in the past, but you mentioned there him swapping roles with Ericsson, but there was that wasn't just up the pitch, that was also at the other end of the pitch. Ericsson was often dropping into Dallow's position and he went into yeah. midfield. There was all sorts going on and it was I do think Fernandez and Ericsson looked so good because they had that support of those inverted fullbacks. It was, uh, the the goal kick's really interesting. I think it's an underrated fact that the first goal from a goal kick, the Fernandez that powerful shot when Anthony messed it up a bit and Fernandez came in and uh, Navas tipped it out. That was from a goal kick as well. I mean, j- just to uh, sum up that one, um, Dallow started centrally. As soon as Lindelof received the ball, Dallow sprinted out wide. In doing so, that dragged an opponent away and into that central space. Uh, in front of Lindelof, Ericsson came in, Lindelof passed it to him, Ericsson flicked it on straight away and we were in a four on four and that ended with Anthony with the ball on the right wing and then Fernandez with that powerful shot. First goal eventually is, is not quite so directly from a goal kick because Martial loses it, but up to that point from the goal kick and then he wins it back and shoots in it and it lands for Anthony. And I was impressed and I was particularly impressed because by Victor Lindelof, who was kind of acting like the conductor of the whole thing. He's clearly an intelligent player, but you could visibly see him talking De Gea through it, directing Dallow where to go, calling Ericsson back in, pushing Maguire out wider. It was pretty useful having him there, actually. <laughs> well, a compliment. It's pretty useful, actually, having him. <laughs> yeah. yeah well, it was... It's a compliment when you consider who he was replacing in the team. I didn't yes, want to go overboard because yes. I don't want him to replace Martinez permanently. So in that context, a very high compliment. Yeah, well, it was definitely something that stood out throughout the game. And again, you know, obviously with the caveat that Forrest made it quite easy for us so they weren't putting us under too much pressure. But yeah. that's still something, you know, even going back just a week or so to the Everton game, Everton set up sort of similarly to Forrest in how little pressure they put us under. And even on that game, we had, we weren't playing through them anywhere near the way that we did against Forrest because it was very much sort of Fernandez just give Fernandez the ball and then he, you know, will play this brilliant 40, 50 yard pass. This was sort of another level of controlled possession and, and being able to build from the back. I mean, you mentioned the first goal sort of coming from a goal kick. The second goal doesn't come from a goal kick, but comes from a sort of a similar position. And that also starts from Lindelof. He plays a great pass in between Forrest's first line of press into Casemiro and then goes into Ericsson and he then sweeps it through to to Anthony. And all of that happens for your first time. The, the pass from uh, Casemiro to Ericsson, Ericsson out to Anthony. Both of those passes are, are first time, and we're we're out of the press, and you know then working a lot mm. of space. Ten Hag mentioned it after the game that part of the the plan going into this against Forest was, and this you know, I go back to even the, the Arsenal game right at the start of the season, Harry. The first time you sort of noticed it, how this what, who what was our first goal against Arsenal? I can't remember. Oh, Anthony, it was Anthony again. Um, yeah, his, his his debut. That was a similar one where. We, we sort of lured Arsenal onto us and then created, that creates a lot more space to work into if you can beat that press. And Ten Hag mentioned that trying to, to sort of draw Nottingham Forest onto us and then create all that space in behind them was exactly the plan today. And, you know, that's the second goal was, came from one of those scenarios. Yeah, and you're right. It absolutely requires a certain type of opposition and you don't want to take away too many huge conclusions beyond mentality when you're playing Forest, who have lost the last 10 games, I think you can take away things about the character and, and that the team did well. And we're going to speak a bit about Maguire and Lindelof specifically coming into the team when we preview the Sevilla game, because we're going to talk about who should start away at Sevilla. But 
I do think you can take encouragement from not necessarily the specific moves or even the fact that United completed them. It was the, it's just a positive sign that you see how well Dallow and Eriksson and Lindelof and De Gea were interacting and how well they were reading the kind of triggers of each other's movement because that's something we wanted to see from this Ten Hag team is those specific patterns of play and these are ones in this game they were very easy to notice there's probably so many other times where if we were able to speak to Ten Hag and he could explain and talk us through a game he'd go oh that one that one and we us mere normals wouldn't notice but when you do notice them it's it's nice to see I guess the final question to talk about before we wrap up on on this game is why didn't we score more <laughs> that is that is the million dollar question uh, it, Second highest expected goals of the season, but even from the eye test, it was just like come on, over and over again. It's, it's quite incredible that in the, the three Premier League games we've played since Newcastle, Brentford, Everton, and Nottingham Forest, it's quite incredible that in those three games we've only managed to add five to our goal difference. Because the Everton mm. game could have been four or five nil, the Nottingham Forest game could have been four or five nil. Brentford wasn't quite as emphatic, but certainly could have scored two or three in that first half. You know, it, this felt. These, these three scorelines have felt almost like as bad as they could have been given the level of performances that we've had. I mean, why didn't we score more? In this game, a couple of fantastic saves from Kaylon Navas is part of it. Definitely, yeah. Certainly the one from the Bruno's amazing first time shot from the corner. You know, that was, that was an yeah, unbelievable that was save. Yeah. Some poor finishing. I felt like some just, that's a poor final ball as well that were still allowing us to, to take shots, but sort of lower percentage shots than they probably should have been. It, it's a hard one to put your finger on. Would that all be solved by bringing in a, a quality striker? Maybe. You know, there's no guarantee, but you, you certainly have more confidence in, in that. So it's a, it's a tricky one because it hasn't, it hasn't been a problem for us throughout the season. I wouldn't say that... Like, I go back to... Was, I think it was the season... Was it 2017? There was a period we went through where yeah. we were playing really well, but... He, he in particular was just missing chance after chance after chance. This hasn't yeah. felt like that most of the season to me. It really has felt like quite a recent no. thing just that in the last few weeks we're, we're really struggling to put away chances. Yeah, it's frustrating. I mean, could, it, could it all just be down to, to Rashford? Poor finishing Maybe, in. but I mean, even in the Everton game before he got injured, it was still a problem then. Yeah, I don't think it's that. I think there has been, the Everton game was more obviously poor finishing this game it would be interesting to watch it again and see if there's any other reason beyond good saves slightly off finishing and and bad luck to be fair I think the thing we mentioned earlier about the wingers running in there were a lot of opportunities that could have we could have scored on a rebound or at the end of a cross where we we didn't do that but that doesn't even add to the xg so beyond that I don't know we I mean we had a lot of shots 22 of them and that does add up even if they're not all of the highest quality um, but anyway, up to third, six points clear of Tottenham in fifth with a game in hand. And ultimately, if we were to finish behind Newcastle, it would be incredibly annoying. But if, if it's for the sake of winning another trophy, then absolutely. And I think there's a lot more positivity about United's chances of, of top four now. It's not, uh, you, you've seen how much can change on yeah. one weekend. Well, as, especially as this weekend the next has, game. But United did well this weekend. Yeah. When, especially with Spurs being our next game, yeah, you've got to think if if you go to to Spurs and beat them, that gives us then a nine point buffer with a game in hand as well. But then, at that point, you've got to think it's sewn up. At this point, especially if you go and lose to Spurs, it's it's still don't forget the seagulls. You know, still a little bit up in the air, but yeah, yeah, and well, and Villa as well with the the other ones now. Yeah, but Brighton have two games in hand on Villa. If Brighton was to win yeah. both their games in hand, they'd be fifty six. Sorry, 55 points, which would be a point behind Newcastle. And we're on 59? Yeah, and we also have a game in hand. So if we were all to win our games in hand, we'd be on 62, Newcastle would be 59, and Brighton would be 55. So there is a big cushion. There's still still a buffer. Yeah. But we do still have to play all three of those teams, Spurs, Villa, Brighton. Interesting. Yeah, and Fulham. Okay, guess the player clue two. As a reminder, your first clue, it was, I played for Manchester United, Leeds United, West Brom, Philadelphia Fury and Shamrock Rovers. And your second clue is, I played for United 115 times under Sir Matt Busby. After my career, I became a hugely popular pundit in my home country. Oh God, okay. 115 United appearances under Busby. 
And after my playing career, I became a hugely popular pundit in my home country. All right. Well, I'm still, I'm still quite confused because the player, I, I actually didn't even really register the first time around that you included Leeds in those clubs that you played for. Because there aren't that many players that have played for both. The, the one that I had in my head was, was yeah. uh, Tony Dunn, but he played for United way too many times than 115, just because he's Irish from that sort of period yeah. that I'm thinking of. I mean, he would probably yeah. still be my only guess, really, because I don't think... I mean, there's, there's like Shea Brennan as well. Shea's like, yeah. But again, he, he would have played for United way too many times. I mean, I'll guess Shea Brennan, but I'm, I'm really not confident in that guess. Okay. Incorrect. He played for United 315 times. He did yeah, play for... Sure. He played for Waterford United after leaving. But other than that... Right, okay. Yeah, I'm just trying to think of Irish players from that time, but I think the ones that are going to come... that. Definitely Tony Dunn and Shay Brennan played way too many times to, to be that person. Well, we'll see after the, the last clue. Yeah. Tony, because Tony clue. Dunn played like 500 times, didn't he? Something like that. I think he broke the 600 like loads, barrier. loads of appearances. Pretty right, sure okay. he's, I oh know, 535. Yeah, Tony Dunn. Um, very high up in the United's rankings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, doing, doing guest the player has made me actually learn a lot more about this stuff because... I would never have known that he played that. I knew Tony Dunn was a, played a lot of times United, but I never would have known he played that many times. And because I've had to look <laughs> up at the appearance list a lot of times in setting guest of players yeah. so far this yeah. season. Yeah, it's very easy to just scroll down the guest of the appearance list and go right him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I often do. Uh, we're going to go into Patreon Q and A, but we're going to give everyone a chance to listen to because there are some really good questions, and yeah, I think there's some nice conversations to be had. But before we start a congratulations to one of our patrons Christopher Anousis who ran the Manchester Marathon at the weekend and did it in a ridiculous time of three hours 12 minutes before watching United play away at Forest in the Sir Ralph Abercrombie in Manchester which we'd recommended him uh, before let's start with a question from Ethan who says what's the strongest back four without Martinez and Varane Ethan says his would be Malassius, Shaw, Maguire, Wambasaka, but he was impressed with Dallow's left-back performance against Forrest, so it's good to have another option. He's gone for Maguire over Lindelof because of his aerial abilities. I think I think picking a strongest back four out of your kind of backups is almost impossible to do without it being opposition dependent because Maguire and Shaw often, yes, but the pace of that, backline would be mm, yeah concerning and Malassia helps with that but he's been in poor form recently Wan-Bissaka helps but what about that that other side I think Dallow at left back does give you a bit more security but I'm I think my instinct after the Martinez injury was Sean Maguire but Lindelof has actually been very good when required this season unflappable at times and looks better in that left centre-back position. <laughs> I think it's so opposition dependent. You know what? You go for your back four <laughs> while, I th- while I continue to mold this over. <laughs> so you stiff, you, you'll stiff me up while you do it. Um, I think, so, so the challenge here is that you're right about Lindelof, and I think this performance at the weekend definitely kind of changed my opinion of the upside of having Lindelof in the team. I think the other, th- when we're playing it, a- the other big thing is God. that you don't want to lose Shaw's. I think when we've had short centre back, we've lost a lot on the left side of attack. Yeah. I, I was going to say, I think, I think the more we expect to, to have possession, the more I'm okay with Shaw at centre back. Cause he's going to be tested less. Yeah. And his ability to get us moving in attack. Shaw at centre back takes away his attacking threat in the final third that he can have when he plays at fullback. But, at centre-back, he is definitely our best of our available options with Martinez out. He is definitely our best player who's able to, to play as a centre-back and play really good passes into midfield to get us moving from deep against a team that are going to sit back and let us have possession. Yeah. So I actually think the more possession we're expected to have, the more I would want Shaw at centre-back. I think the less we're expected to dominate a game, I'd want Shaw at full-back more. A, because I think he's better than Malassia and you'd want that extra security there. Malassia hasn't been great recently, like you alluded to. But also the, the the benefit you get from Shaw being out in the final third in a game where you'd probably expect there to be a bit more opportunities for us on the counter-attack, I think is more important. And so you'd want Shaw at fullback. Mm. So if we're saying for Sevilla, let's say on Thursday night in a game that I think is going to be quite scrappy, and I, exp- I don't think we're going to dominate possession, but I think we'll 
still see more of the ball than maybe we expect. I think I would be tempted to go with Shaw at centre-back and maybe even Dallow at left-back given Malassia's poor form and, and Dallow's performance at right-back. But I think Shaw and, Mag- and Maguire... I'm happy with that as a as a partnership. I just think I'm not sure Ten Hag would play Lindelof on the right, I don't think and I don't know how moving to the right would change what we saw from him against Forest. Yeah, I don't think you can have Shaw and Lindelof as a partnership. I don't think it. I think neither of them are aggressive enough. But I think I for Sevilla, we were going to talk about this later, but we'll talk about it now. I think I'd go. I'd be very tempted to continue with Dallo at left back, have Shaw at centre back, and Maguire and Wambasaka. I just I haven't seen enough from Malassi in the recent games. He's he's not been up to the standard. I mean we saw that in the home leg, both in attack and in defence with a completely inexplicable mistake. And especially if he's been a little bit injured, then it's it, it would make sense to persist with Dallo. So I, I that's my main concern is you don't want to lack Shaw's attacking quality because with the players that were missing in attack, like Rashford specifically, it's so important to all of that. And I do think Dalog gives that it, that kind of he's he's the foil to that missing creativity. So yeah, I think I think we both agree with that. Yeah. In terms of Maguire, his performance at Forest it was so shaky to begin with, and I mean it, it just looks nervous and we praised him the other night for stepping out of the fence and being proactive I think for the Everton game we said he had a really good performance and that proactive defence and getting in front of his man and winning the ball back and keeping those attacks sustained but he looked nervous it was nervous Maguire again and the booking third minute was the worst example of that and then even when he had something right later on I think it must have been around the 15-20 minute mark he poked the ball out for a corner uh, and it was in the end, it was a, a really important intervention. But even in doing that, he was hesitant and he eventually went for it, but it was almost too late. And Nervous Maguire is so bad because he's such a big unit that any kind of hesitance in what he does, yeah. it, it it's a foul immediately. And it's rightly a booking, even though he's for straight back. Well, and it, it also means that if he's if the hesitation means that he's sort of slowing down, it's taken him double the length of yeah. time it takes Varane or Martinez to get back up to speed. If it's you know sort of chasing yeah. a ball or something like that, it it really does. That being said, it otherwise I was so impressed by the way he composed himself because I was really worried for him, and I don't think Maguire should be starting for United too regularly anymore. I think he can be a useful option, but he's not he's not done enough to earn himself a long United career but I did feel for him because you just I feel for any player when you just see the kind of world crumbling around them and the pressure closing in and I thought this really I mean this could be it he could have a first half sending off here if he's not careful and he was giving away the ball as well and there was a point where he just composed himself and to do that under that pressure is um, it's good you know, he's won his last 11 starts for United. I know, and that fact is not lost on him either. I mentioned last week that he he oh, mentioned yeah. <laughs> he, he brought it up in an interview after the Everton game. <laughs> so he's, he's yeah. keeping track of that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of that will also be down to the fact, you know, he, he's playing in games, League yeah. Cup and FA Cup games. But I mean, still, you know, it's important games and he has been winning them. I Yeah, the first first 20 minutes were, were really, really poor. But like you said, you've got to give him credit for how he, he came back into the game. and. You know, he just kept things simple, which is sort of what you want. Like there was a point, this must have been after about 15 to 20 minutes, he received the ball in a, a fair bit of space sort of on our around our halfway line or the halfway line. There's only one. We don't have our own one <laughs> around the halfway line. Uh, and, and he had a lot of space in front of him that he sort of drove into, ended up, there was a ball onto wan the entire time. He, he ended up dribbling 20 yards forward, tried to play the part, a really simple pass to wan on his left foot and he put it straight out for a throw. And that yeah. you just felt at that point, it's like, oh my God, you know, it's going to be one of those days. But I think, I think after that, he just sort of settled down and kept things really simple. And that, that's really what you want from him. That, that, that's fine. You know, there weren't really any long, of the, the, the long kind of switches that he's very good at when we play at home, where there's a much bigger pitch, a lot more space for us to work in. You know, I think Lindelof, like you said, Lindelof taking charge as much as he did probably helped a lot as well, because it sort of stopped Maguire from having to take as much leadership when we were in possession. Yeah. I, I also thought, I'm actually surprised this didn't get 
more scrutiny on it. I'm really surprised he didn't give away a penalty in the I first know. half. <laughs> I think that handball, I, I really was expecting that to get given on VAR. From what I could tell, uh, I, I saw two possible reasons it wasn't given was, and I don't know that, whether this was actually the case, it, did it come off a different body part and then onto his hand? Did it brush off his head? Because the replays weren't conclusive on that. I wonder whether they looked at that and determined that it did, so it wasn't handball. And the only other reason I could think of is that had it not hit his hand, it was going to hit a United player. Yeah, p- possibly. I, I, I mean, Dermot that, Gallagher on um, on Sky Sports, like Ref Watch, said that, you know, there were arms everywhere. Everyone had their arms out. It would have been harsh to give it. And I just think, well, like every other player can have, can be standing like a scarecrow. But if, it's, if it hits one person's arm, yeah. it's still, but it's like, it's still a foul, you know? Which didn't really make much sense to me. I, I was just shocked it didn't, like, I, it's one of those ones where I don't really think, I don't even know if I think that should be handled. I think it's a harsh. Because the handball was just a mess. I was just surprised it it didn't get given, given where the handball is, handball rule is at the moment. But anyway, that is just to say it was part of that shaky start. He composed himself really well. And in the end, actually, I've got to give credit, not just to Maguire, but the whole defence, because I was convinced early in the game that we were going to concede from a corner in this game. Like the first few, every single time, it was like, it was a complete knife edge. And, partially because we stopped them having so many corners, but even when they did have them in the second half and stuff, we, we dealt with them much better. Maguire was yeah. a big part of that. Okay, let's go to Corey Lennox's question, who says, we've talked about the lack of rotation throughout the season, specifically in cup matches. Do we think the non-stop injuries as of late are due to that? I think it's so hard to determine that without being either, even a medical expert on the outside would struggle to be to have a proper conclusion on that and as someone without any medical expertise who's had a sprained ankle well officially an ankle ligament tear if you want (laughs) to I actually have exactly the same intro as Alejandro Garnacho and he's come back in what three weeks ish it's taken me about 15 months um so I'm the opposite of medical expertise (laughs) I I think it's hard to I'm going to speak on it anyway. I think it's hard to say it's lack of rotation. I think some of them, like Rashford, you can kind of guess that's probably likely. Muscle injuries are, are often going to be down to playing a lot. Uh, and Varane probably. Ten Hag spoke about uh, after Varane got injured, said he's had this problem for a couple of weeks. So lack of rotation then, yeah, that, that's almost certainly it. But Martinez breaking a metatarsal seems unlikely. Um, I think it's sometimes lost that by playing more games, the chance of injury is higher, not because your muscles are gone, but because simply from a kind of statistical point of view, you're playing more. There's more opportunity for you to get injured, even if it's an impact injury like Ericsson and Martinez and, and uh, Garnacho and various others. And uh, But it's, it's important to, you're right there, but it's important to also say that that doesn't increase the risk of injury. That's what I mean, yeah. Like to to any any one player that plays more, it just means that by playing more games, you would expect United to have more injuries than other teams. Yeah, you've got more but, exposure to the possibility of being injured. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, like you said, it, it, without being medical experts, it's obviously hard to say. Muscle injuries are usually the ones that you can put down to playing more. But even the Rashford one, I'm a bit hesitant to even say that's down to playing too much because that wasn't like he was just running and then his groin went. His groin went from when he was stretching for a ball. And I mean, that's happened to me when I'm playing football. I haven't haven't played in, you know, uh, two weeks. You know, just in, in training, you're like stretching for a ball. It, it, it's That's easily uh, easily done. So the Varane one, like, yeah. like you said, to me, that's, I mean, maybe even not lack of rotation. It just felt like it was a risk to play him in the first place since he had been struggling with this knock for a couple of weeks. Well, that's that kind of is lack of rotation, isn't it? That's an unwillingness well, I guess, but to keep him out of the team. Yeah, maybe I'm just being a bit too nitpicky about the phrase. Lack of rotation to me is more like wear and tear coming from just playing too much. That was more like, I felt like he had a knock and probably shouldn't have been playing in the first, which, but I mean, it's all under the same umbrella of, you know, playing, yeah. playing too much. So I wonder whether, to be honest, the, the decision not to play Sabitzer was a bit of scarring from deciding to play Varane. Yeah, possibly. And and probably having more faith in Ericsson as the replacement than he would have done in yeah, Maguire replacing Varane on Thursday. I, I do I do think yeah. though, just the other point I was going to make, we're obviously getting this huge pile up of injuries now. I'm surprised we haven't had more injuries throughout the season. 
honestly. Yeah. Because you think we've all we we've been playing three times a week since this first, or the last week of December, and it's taken until now for these injuries to pile up. Really, before that, you know, Varane has had these knocks here and there, as you kind of expect with him. But other than that, it's really only been Ericsson until the last few weeks that's had any kind of significant injury. So yes, they are all, they've obviously all happened at once. Whether they're down to rotation or lack of rotation is sort of hard to say. But in general, since we've given that we've played, how many games we've played now this season? It's like 55, I think, maybe a bit more. Oh, wow. Something like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm, I'm plus the World Cup in the middle for a lot of our players. I'm surprised that we've really only had one major injury before. Well, I know there's Martial too, but I know he's similar to Varane and he's just kind of, it's a yeah. bonus if they're fit. Well, let's talk about Martial's injuries in the context of Victor Ossiman because Michael Byers says, are you worried that Ossiman is a 125 million version of Martial? Brilliant when he plays, but so often injured that his actual numbers aren't that good. He also asks, does movement from the relatively slower and less physical Serie A to the Premier League worry you about injury recurrence? I think any player who's even had a couple of injuries, you're going to want to be really sure that there's nothing wrong there. But that's kind of the point of scouting and medical reports and and literal medicals when you sign for a club. Um, So I think it's fair to have some concern there. I looked at his injuries. Uh, at Wolfsburg, he had a meniscal injury, calf injury, shoulder injury. Um, he then had uh, another shoulder injury at Napoli, coronavirus twice. He's had a head injury, calf strain, cheekbone fracture, and a bicep and abductor injury. Total at Napoli over three seasons, he's missed 49 games. I'm going to discount coronavirus from that. And I'm also going to discount a cheekbone fracture and a head injury. I don't think that's a concern. They're freak incidents particularly the cheekbone fracture, which was very serious. That takes the games missed down to 29. It's not ideal. I think that shoulder injury, you might be a bit concerned that three injuries at two different clubs, but he hasn't had that for three years. I, It's hard to tell. I don't see it as much of a concern. In comparison, by the way, Martial has missed 53 games in the same time as opposed to 49. And his injuries, you can't call freak. They are... I mean, a ridiculous array of hip, knee, ligament, hamstring. What He missed three games of fitness. Uh, there was an unknown muscle injury, an Achilles problem, a back problem. There's all sorts. <laughs> and prior to that, in the last, before these last three seasons, he had a series of muscle injuries. So I don't think it's much of a concern. Having watched Dustin Men, not loads, but I've been so impressed in the Champions League and whenever I've seen Napoli play, he was so fun to watch. So fun. And I hope they beat. Milan in the second leg of the quarterfinals and if City reach the final Napoli the only team on that other side of the draw to have any faith in stopping them winning a potential treble but when you've watched off Men, I mean I don't think you can have any doubt about his power and physicality he looks immense in that regard the only thing I'd say is maybe is the Phil Jones trait in that he throws himself at things so he gets injuries like a shoulder injury or a head injury or a cheekbone fracture I thought you meant that he makes weird faces no <laughs> I haven't noticed that, does he? <laughs> no, I haven't noticed it either. I'm just, when you said the Phil Jones trade, that was just the first thing that came to uh, my mind. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's fair enough. But I do think he, there is a bit of that. I've seen, you see the intensity with which he throws himself at, at chances. Yeah, yeah. And then he gets injured from some of them. I wouldn't think of that as a concern. I'd see that as, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, look, looking, this question also prompted me to look at Osman's injury history because it, it, to be honest, it wasn't something I'd seen all that much about before. Or, or really seen as much of a discussion. I think, I think the context of this is he missed the first leg of the Champions League quarter. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's a huge problem. Like, obviously you'd rather sign a player that's never had an injury in their life. But I think what you're really looking for is two things. One, is, is it an amount of injuries that feels like they're just a fragile player? Some Something like a Varane or, or a Martial. Yeah. And I, I don't think from looking at it that they're, that it's too big that I would worry about that. And then the other thing you're looking at is repeat injuries. And in Osterman's case, the only one really there, you mentioned it, the, the shoulder injury has repeated a few times. He hasn't suffered with that for a couple of seasons. So, I mean, is that enough to fully get rid of no. that worry? Maybe, maybe well, not. I, also on a wider but, point, 125 million version of Martial. I think it's different. When you signed Martial, he was a kid from Monaco. You'd add a few fleeting good moments in the Champions League. Osman, you're signing a proven Champions League goal scorer. 
yeah, I, it really, it comes down to, I think, just what the comfort level of the people in charge of making that decision is. Like it's obviously, let's say it does cost 125 million pounds. That is a, a huge amount of money that come, carries with it, not just the financial cost, but also big opportunity cost yeah. in terms of who else we could sign. It, with can you money. see it happening in short? If there are- Because I can't. This summer, no. Yeah. But I, that, that's not because of the player, that's because of the ownership situation. Yeah, I just mean, can you see Osman side of United? I don't, not really. No. Um, Michael's other question is, is top four and that's it enough for the rest of the season? With all the injuries, can one reasonably expect more, as in win either of the trophies that we're still in? I'd expect, reasonably expect, as if I was a neutral looking at United, I wouldn't, be saying a failure to win another trophy would be a failure as a whole. The season would be a success, top four and the League Cup, particularly with these injuries now. You're two first choice centre-backs. But I can't say that as a fan because what can I... Re- I it's not about expecting, is it? It's about hoping and, and dreaming of an amazing week in Budapest and winning the Europa League. In terms of what I think we're more likely to win, I'd probably... <sighs> severe, winning in severe is going to be really difficult. I think I'm more confident for that than Brighton. On the other hand, Fernandez suspended is, is massive. So that might drag them down to about the same. I can't see, I put it this way, I can't see us winning both of the games this week. And so, it, I, yeah, again, it's not about expectations, it's about hope. But what do you say as if you were looking on as a neutral or a, or a highly paid Sky Sports pundit? Well, I, to, to directly answer the question, if we finished fourth, and didn't win another trophy, whether we get to the finals or semi-final of either of them or not, I still think that is 100% a successful season from yeah. where we were back in August. I think if you and I are in our season preview, I think we both said top four in a trophy, great. Given sort of where the season's gone, I think you, you, you'd probably come away feeling slightly disappointed that we, A, that we did, haven't finished third and B, that we couldn't get over the line in the FA Cup or the Europa League. But I think from a big picture point of view, it's still been a massive, posit- po- massively positive season. Realistically, I think we'll probably make one of the two finals, and then it's probably it's a toss up whether we'd win. Yeah, I'd probably be more confident winning the Europa League final than the FA Cup final, just based on who we will likely play if we make it to either of those. I've, yeah, incredibly, Brighton and then City is probably a harder <clears throat> uh, run to a trophy than beating Sevilla away from home, than beating. One of yeah. Juventus and Sporting over two legs, and yeah. then a final. Despite there being more games, more opponents, and whatever, and a, and it being a European trophy, whoever wins the FA Cup this year is really going to deserve it for once. Um, when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at marines.com. Let's, let, let's wrap up the page Q&A and talk about the FA Cup. Uh, United women in their first FA Cup final on the 14th of May, 2.30pm on BBC One at Wembley against Chelsea. Beating Aston Villa 3-2. It was uh, a really poor first 45 minutes, actually, at Lee Sports Village. United were massive favourites to beat Brighton, who were bottom of the WSL. United are top of it. I think 30 points or maybe over 30 points separates the two teams. It was a pretty complacent first half performance. United looked off it. Lucia Garcia, the Spanish winger, 24, looks good. A rare start for her after some really good showings off the bench, but nothing was flowing perfectly. And then there was this terrible Mary Ups mistaken goal and an own goal. Cross came in, she parried it into her own net. United got an early goal back in second half uh, in under a minute from Lee Golton. And then... 
uh, went ahead through Alessio Russo. Ridiculous finish. She has this ability to find the roof of the net with ridiculously powerful finishes. They're amazing to watch. Then another mistake, another rare one, Millie Turner, who was too weak and the experienced Brighton forward, Danielle Carter, capitalised on it. And then it came to Rachel Williams, the most experienced forward to settle it in the 89th minute with a really good finish. Um, it was a great game. Not It should have been more comfortable for United, but Brighton were really good. And to get to an FA Cup final is, is brilliant. And yeah, I can't wait for that. Chelsea, I, I can't see United beating Chelsea just because... I don't think we've beaten Chelsea at all yet. <laughs> They're too good. Yeah, but brilliant it's, it's day great for, to get there. for the uh, United women's team. You're right, the, the first half was was poor and United will, will be really frustrated at the two goals they conceded. But it, it felt, to be honest, it felt quite a lot like sort of a classic cup tie in that, you know, the 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 big team, quote unquote, sort of plays a bit down to the level of the smaller team. The smaller team clearly sort of up their level in, in such a big game and ends up being a real sort of back and forth battle throughout the entire game. You got, I think you've got to give United credit for coming through it. It's like so hard when you're, when you're already playing badly. It is so hard to sort of pull yourself up from that and be able to come back. I mean, especially after Brighton pegged us back at 2-2. Yeah. Like when you go down 1-0, especially quite early on, you still got a lot of faith that, you know, you've got time, you've got the quality to come back. Having then taken the lead, done all that hard work to, to get it to 2-1, to then be pegged back again, that that's a real body one. We've seen you know plenty of teams over the years get stung by that. And I think United deserve a lot of credit for sticking with it. It was a great finish by Rachel Williams for the for the winner. I love it and when an experienced player comes on like that and just goes, look, just I'll I'll sort things out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. calm. It's it was a great great moment. And you know, a massive step for this United team, obviously only still only what, four or five years from being yeah, re, the double uh, is still on. recreated, recreated. Yeah. You know, even if, even if they end up losing the final and not winning the WSL, the progress that this team has made from, from their first season since, since being reinstated, has been, you know, massive, massive progress. And now United are in a position to be one of those kind of established heavyweights alongside Arsenal, Man City, Chelsea. Yeah. I think the big three retain their status for now. Yeah. But depending on what United do at the end of the season, that will become the big four. United would be the first winner outside of the big three since 2012 when Rachel Williams won it with Birmingham City <laughs> if we beat Chelsea in the middle of May, incredibly. And as a reminder on, on the league status, United are top, having played one more game than Chelsea and Arsenal. Chelsea are one point behind, Arsenal are three points behind and United have a better goal difference than them both. But at the moment, it's Chelsea's I wouldn't call it Chelsea's to lose, but it's in but Chelsea's hands. But I think Arsenal hand. and Chelsea have to play each other, don't they? So I believe so, yeah. We we play... Sure, I remember that being one of the games We up. play Arsenal this week on Wednesday, 7.15. This, the, the Arsenal game was moved for the FA Cup semi. So whether United are going to win the league will probably... If, if we were to lose to Arsenal, I think that would probably... We also have to play City in the second last game of the season. So... There's so much still to do. We've got a really hard run of games, actually, because we play Villa away and Villa in good form um, in a couple of weeks. Uh, and yeah, City in the second last game of the season. So a lot to do. I'd say Chelsea are favourites, but United do have a chance. So let's see what happens. Uh, quick academy update. The under-18s lost 3-1 in the Manchester derby. Went 2-0 down early on. City's first was a good, powerful finish. Some dodgy defending. Um, and then the second came from uh, Nico O'Reilly. He scored both of their first two. The second, just an audacious, brilliant lob from well over 30 yards. Louis Jackson's header reduced that deficit to one, but City quickly restored the advantage direct from a free kick. It was a deserved win for them, to be honest, as uh, it always seems to be coming up against their very, very talented academy sides. The good news was Finley McAllister made his return from a knee injury in the match. He'd been out uh, since October, only 16 years old uh, midfielder. He's also a regular home and away with United. I saw him at St. James's Park a couple of weeks ago. I see him most games in the Red Army section at Old Trafford. And uh, some positive graduate news. Mark Helm, a name you might recognise from a couple of years ago. He left United, uh, I can't remember whether 18 months ago or a bit longer. Uh, a good, hard-working midfielder. He was doing well at United, but he left to join Burnley. He's since gone to Burton Albion and he was in the League One Team of the Week this week, which is good to see. Jack, very quickly, we haven't got loads of time, but Ahmad, in short, another great goal, correct? Yeah, another great goal. Cuts in from the right. Actually, 
goes past Hannibal Medbury, fellow low knee, in the build-up to the goal and a brilliant finish. As a reward for his brilliant performances all season, he's been shortlisted for the Championship Young Player of the Season award as well. Lovely. Ethan Led. Played as just the sub for the last 15 minutes for QPR. Mentioned recently that he came back from injury. He was out for a couple of months with a hamstring problem. He's kind of struggled to regain his place in the QPR team, but QPR are in a bit of a mess at the moment. They're in massive free fall in the second half of the season. So it's uh, not that it's the easiest situation for Ethan Laird at the moment. Yeah, difficult since Michael Beale left to go to Rangers. Yeah, exactly. Having said, he was very loyal to QPR, rejecting the Wolves job and then left. I think I yep. think it was like two weeks later. It was very funny. Um, but wouldn't be funny if you were a QPR fan. Uh, let's stick with the fullbacks. Alvaro Fernandez at Preston. Yeah, he came on as a sub as well. He played the last 25 minutes after starting on the bench against Millwall. He played, played okay when he came on, but Preston ended, ended up losing 2-1. Uh, actually kind of strange in that Fernandez at Preston and Ahmad at Sunderland are in really, really close proximity at the moment. Only one point between them. Preston are one point behind Blackburn, who currently have the last playoff spot in the championship. Sunderland are two points behind. So a lot on the line for those two towards the end of the season. It's good for both to get some experience playing in some really meaningful, you know, high pressure, high stakes games in the back end of the season. Yeah. Also playing high stakes, but at the other end of the table was Charlie Savage. But those stakes have been scythed down because <laughs> uh, re- relegation has been confirmed, hasn't it? Yeah. The writing's been on the wall, really. As, as I didn't even realise I was making a forest pun there. <laughs> As well, <laughs> I, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't realize that either. I, even after you said it, yeah. But yeah, they have. They have been uh, been relegated. I think they only won once since Charlie Savage joined. They've only won, I think, five games all season. It's it's just been really tough for them all year. Duncan Ferguson coming in wasn't able to to really <laughs> help very much, and they they're the first team in the football league to be confirmed as relegated. Duncan Ferguson being given a vegan burger on his first day at Forest Green Rovers will forever <laughs> live, live on in my yeah, mind. Yeah. Next to the. I think we can call him the eccentric order, Dale Vince. Uh, it any other feel like pers- a bit of a, a strange fit. Yeah, yeah. I liked Ferguson was kind of presented with this burger and then said, oh yeah, I'll try that later. Because the Sky reporter said, you don't have to eat it now. And he was like, oh, I'll enjoy it later. I was like, when are you going to take a cold burger home from Sky Sports? <laughs> but uh, any other particularly noticeable ones? Uh, most notable was, yet again, Max Oyodeli. He We talked about oh, him last week that he scored for Altrincham. He scored again. He scored against Oldham last week and this week against Dorking. Now, despite being a you know defender or defensive midfielder, I think that's his fourth goal now since being on loan at Altrincham. His, his second in his last three games. Uh, he, he and Joe Hugill both started for Altrincham but despite Oyadeli's goal it actually ended up being quite a bad afternoon for them they were 2-0 up inside 10 minutes and lost 3-2 so ah. not not the best elsewhere uh, Matikova had a slightly tough game he conceded 3 but Slavia Sparta Prague sorry his team drew 3-3 against Slavia Prague in the massive game of the Czech League Sl- uh, Sparta Prague have maintained their lead at the top few other players playing Charlie McNeil started uh, Deshaun Barna uh, just came off the last minute or so. So some good minutes all around, but no huge standouts other than Ahmad this week. Okay, Sevilla on Thursday. We haven't got very long. The key question, who replaces Bruno Fernandes? Sabitzer. Oh, I'm going with Fred. Fred to cause some carnage. <laughs> um, I've been really shocked at how few you- minutes Fred has played actually over the last six, six yeah, weeks. Yeah, recently. So. It's been a bit strange, isn't it? Because he was having some really good games before. I wonder what the the thinking is there. Uh, given that I'd expect Ericsson to play, having started that game now and been so good, and it's not like he had to do that much physical exertion in that game. Do you think he'll go forward to replace Bruno's influence? Or do you think whoever is replacing Bruno will be a direct replacement for him? I, I think it'll be more of a direct replacement. I think Ten Hag will be really reluctant to move Ericsson further up the pitch. I would expect... Ericsson and Casemiro still at the base of midfield and then it's who you bring in to play as sort of number 10. I mean, if we bring in Fred, you could play more of a flat midfield three, but it doesn't seem like something Ten Hag has loved to do so far this season. I just think that's why I expect, well, actually I, I say Sabbath, so I forgot that he got injured actually before, before the game. So yeah, assuming we'll that he's fit, I think he would come in because he's played that role and, and played it quite well at various points this season. I mean, it would be... It would be great. I don't think he will be. It would be great if Rashford is fit because then you can yeah. put Sancho at number 10 and play Rashford out wide. But I, I really don't think that's going to happen. I'm also, obviously we spoke about Sancho. I'm not convinced he'd have the aggression to play number 10 in a game of this highest stakes. But we'll see. I'm going to give you your final guess to play a clue, which we need to do quickly before we give a prediction. Your final clue is 
When Matt Busby sold me for £33,000, I told my wife, I'm going to haunt him. And that's exactly what I did, um, becoming a key player and winning two top flight titles, an FA Cup and a League Cup. And to be fair, a lot of other things as well. It's it's Giles. Uh, Is it John, Johnny Giles? Yeah. Yeah. Johnny Giles. I know that quote, yeah. 82 years old now, born in Dublin. He was a, I think a fair to say, well, he was a fan favourite at Leeds, but he was also loved as a pundit on RTE in Ireland. I expect any of our Irish listeners probably got that yeah. a fair bit earlier. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I, I honestly, yeah. I, even Nicely now, done. wouldn't have got that from the two earlier clues, but I know that quote quite well. Yeah, it's uh, it's not in United's favour, but it's a great footballing story. And I think Busby recognised what a great player he was at a later date. Your prediction for Sevilla? Uh, 4-0 United. Brilliant. I can't wait. Um, <laughs> oh, it's it's tricky, isn't it? I'm going to back United to win and lose to Brighton. Okay, interesting. Are you going the same or the other way around, or even more confident and a double victory? No, I, I, my actual prediction. I think, I think we'll beat Sevilla. I think we'll beat Sevilla two nil, and then I think we'll beat Brighton on penalties. Wow! If that happens, <laughs> I'm about to have one of the greatest weeks of my life. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. uh yeah, on that very, very happy note, thank you for listening, everyone. And we'll speak to you. Um, we may speak to you in separate ways as we did after the home leg, after the severe away leg. We will definitely be reacting uh, next Monday evening slash Tuesday morning to the Brighton game. And yeah, let's let's see what kind of a week we have. You know where to find us on Twitter. If you enjoyed the Patreon Q&A, you can sign up and get that kind of thing every week for as little as £1.50 a month. Find us on Twitter at UDD Weekly Pod for information about how to do that. Other than that, have a brilliant week. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Network.